You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's up, guys? This is the Talking the Draft podcast. I'm your host, Connor Lobsey. Joined by my co-host today, Joey Ikes. And the 2023 NFL Draft is over with, and we made it through it. Undrafted free agency is pretty much over with. And the next thing we have on our schedule is Rookie Minicamp, which is coming up here in a few weeks. So there is a lot to talk about the about this draft class and this roster as a whole. And that's what we're going to do today. Uh, Joey, this is our first time on since the draft. You uh, doing all right? And we're going to get some yeah, you know, this bad boy. Yeah, you know, it was a uh, it was an interesting weekend. I think is probably the best way to say it, where the uh, I think one of the things that we learn and we'll get to more of these sort of takeaways is that um, we've got to accept the fact we don't really know anything <laughs> about what this team thinks going into the draft anymore. And um on one hand, it's tough for guys like you and me who are trying to do this stuff. But on the other hand, it's refreshing from the fan point of view for the team to be holding things close to the vest like this and really, um, really trying to gain small little advantages in this area. Yeah, no doubt. And I mean, it's always tough because, you know, we go through, you know, we go through everything pre-draft and the draft happens. And I feel like there's so many fans out there who want to point the finger and go, see, you guys had no clue. And it's, you're right. Like maybe we didn't have a clue, but also I think there's a part of it too, where some of the stuff we hear and we know, I think we know it's true, but they can't tell us that was true after the draft. Cause you can't go back and go, yeah, we like that player. We wanted to take him. That was our guy, but he went before us and now we had to pivot because obviously that looks bad to the guy you picked. So I think there's some of that like truth lie to it that, that we definitely are, are stuck on and trying to figure out, okay, were we lied to before the draft or we, were we, you know, just stretch the truth a little bit? Like what was it? But it's always a good thing. I'll say it's always a good thing and a bad thing <laughs> when the team throws you some of those curveballs because it makes you think like, okay, they, they definitely are, you know, Mozzie Smith, we'll start there. Like that seemed like a, where, Hey, we're just going to stick here and trust our draft board type of thing. Um, but then they, you know, my, my whole point, here that I'm trying to make is I feel like in the first round they proved you know that they're sticking to the draft board but then round two I feel like they probably went hey this is a position we got to target they're coming off the board no matter who's there we're probably going at tight end and I feel like there's some of that battle there between like are they doing this thing right or are they still being team needs heavy there's always going to be team needs involved in your player rankings and your draft strategy there's always going to be that but there's always some of that in the back of my mind too. And I'm like, man, I feel like they could have hit a few more home runs here, but it felt like a very solid, you know, doubles draft. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it's one of those things that, you know, they clearly had a very, very big grade on Mozzie Smith going into this draft. You know, I think they said he was their 14th graded player on their board. Um, we believe, and I've heard the whispers, and I'm sure you probably have too, that they did have one first round player left when they were picking. Uh, so all of those conversations everybody likes to have pre-draft about you're picking at 26, you're not going to have any first round players left, et cetera, et cetera. Who do we think that uh, was? I, I believe, and what I've heard is that it was Joey Porter. Okay. Uh, that they had a first round grade on Joey Porter and that he was available. But then they also have said, but this goes back to your point. They have also said that Mozzie Smith was the highest graded defensive player right. on their board. <laughs> that's, so they're just they're just hard to believe at times. <laughs> exactly. Some Especially of that after stuff, the fact. Yes. Yeah, some of that stuff after the draft about this guy was the highest guy on our board and all this kind of stuff. Uh, that's uh, some of that stuff is hard to believe. But they, you know, they did say we did have several guys with very similar grades, two or three guys that we were picking between at several of these picks. So. You know, and and when you get in those scenarios, like let's say they had 11 first round grades and Joey Porter was the 11th graded player on their board and Mozzie Smith is the 14th rated player on their board um, and they pick Mozzie Smith over Joey Porter. Who cares? Because Mozzie Smith, as Will McClay said in the meeting that we right. now heard the conversation since then, Mozzie Smith has has an opportunity to come in and make an impact immediately where. Joey Porter doesn't. Matthew Bergeron probably doesn't. You know, a lot of those guys, and that's sort of what we get into when we get into the idea of how much does best player available versus a position of need versus all of those sorts of things. How much does that factor in? And what is and who's best player available <laughs> and whose ass- assessment of team needs? Because corner and offensive line were what you know, a lot of fans were saying and fan analysts type people in the media were saying were two of the Cowboys biggest needs going into the draft. And they, Will McClay even said the guard doesn't have, we have depth on the offensive line. We don't have, the guard doesn't have a chance to help us this year. That's where, that's actually where I want to start. I didn't mean to cut you off, but that's actually the first talking point I wanted to hit on. You know, we were kind of handling this, this podcast today as a, Hey, this is, you know, we're going to give our thoughts on the draft as a whole and then talk about, you know, kind of going forward, what's next? Because I feel like you hear things like that from McClay where in that, you know, in that interviewer or in the pre in, in the draft room where they put out the the audio and the video of like them discussing the Mozzie Smith and what we've come to believe is the Matthew Bergeron selection of 26 overall. McClay pretty much said like, we're pretty good at guard. Like that would be a depth pick where Mozzie Smith is going to come in and, and compete for a starting role right away. We think he's a bigger impact right away. Whereas as you were mentioning, like me, you, a lot of people are going, who the hell's playing left guard this year? <laughs> yeah. I ran a poll on Twitter like a week before the draft of trying to figure out, because I got, I sort of got this impression from talking to people. People felt like offensive line, and I think offensive line got 60% of the vote for the biggest need on the team. And there was, you know, over a thousand votes cast. So it was a relatively decent sample size poll that offensive line was the biggest need in the draft. And I think part of that is Cowboy fans have a very skewed idea of what acceptable interior offensive line play looks like. Um, And by that, I mean, they think it is a much higher level 
to reach to be acceptable offensive line play than what offensive line play really looks like across the league. Um, and, and so going into the draft, there were so many people and there were people saying it on this podcast network that they have to hit offensive line in the top 50 picks because they need a starter at left guard. They don't, that's the biggest hole on the roster is left guard. And they clearly do not feel that way. <laughs> and, uh, and it's, uh, it's going to be interesting to see what the plan is there. Cause there's been a lot of talk from them about a lot of different options at left guard um, that would involve a lot of shuffling and some other yeah. places that would be interesting to see. And I think that's the point that I think that point there is what throws a lot of people off. Cause you know, they say, Hey, we got, we want Tyron at right tackle and Tyler at left tackle. And maybe we'll work Terrence Steele into left guard, or maybe that's Chuma Adoge. But for me, it's like, I mean, I feel like the simplest move is to move Tyron to left tackle, Terrence at right tackle, Tyler Smith to left guard. Then you're really only making one move for one position. And again, we all know that there, it's not likely that Tyron plays a, a full 16, 17, 18, 20 game season by any means. But um, you're you're anticipating having to make that move anyways at some point. So I almost feel like, why don't you start the season off with, I think that gives you your best five offensive linemen. Um, and you just kind of know in the back of your mind at some points, we're probably going to have to kick Tyler Smith back out the left tackle and then figure it out at left guard. Now, wherever that is, I think that's the, that's where the fans are worried about. Cause I think they, they feel comfortable and confident in that best five starting with Tyron at left tackle, Terrence at right tackle, Tyler Smith at left guard, which if I had to bet today, that's probably the lean they might go going into the season. I mean, I think they're going to tell us like, Oh, We'll play it out through camp. We'll see what these young guys, you know, we're going to anticipate a, a a third, fourth year jump from the Matt Farniox and the Josh Balls and those type of guys. But I think when week one rolls around, they'd be silly not to roll out Tyron at left tackle if he's healthy, Tyler at left guard, and then Terrence at right tackle if he's healthy and um, go from there. But so, so we're on the guard position. I mean, do you feel like in-house candidates right now are good enough to find somebody that is a starting caliber left guard to play for them? Yes, because here's the thing is that like what I said a minute ago, starting caliber left guard play across the NFL right. is is not a very high bar. <laughs> not a very high bar at all uh, and, and you know just to get an idea of, of how Cowboys fans feel about left guard play I asked on Twitter ran another poll to go with my offensive line I don't do this a lot but I, it was worth worth it for this when was the last time the Cowboys got acceptable was the word that I used left guard play on the offensive line and I put you know Connor McGovern last year Connor Williams for the few years he played it Jonathan Cooper for the year and a half, he played it. And then Ron Leary in 2016. And Ron Leary in 2016 won the poll. The Cowboys have had one of the top 10 offensive lines in the league for consistently for the last decade, shuffling five different guys through the left guard spot. And Cowboys fans feel like the last time they got acceptable offensive line play was in 2016. So that just goes to show you, where Cowboys fans feel like that bar is versus where it is across the league. Um, Connor McGovern, the guy that everybody felt like wasn't good enough at left guard last year, got like $7 million a year on the open market to go play guard for a team that's in a championship window. 
he was considered a significant enough upgrade for another team for him to get six or seven million dollars a year. That tell that should tell you everything you need to know about what playing left guard looks like in the NFL. I think the best five that you mentioned is the line, the group that absolutely makes the most sense. Now, maybe one of these young guys comes in and blows up that assumption and they wind up saying, you know what, we can put Tyron at, we can have Tyron be the backup left tackle. They've also shown us in the last several years, and maybe this was Joe Philbin, they don't like that. They don't want to have a swing tackle. They want to have a backup left tackle and a backup right tackle. And so hopefully, you know, you get your best five out there and we both think it's the Smiths on the left side, Tyler and the Biotish in the middle, Zach Martin, and then Terrence Steele. But it, but you also have to contingency plan for what happens when Tyron Smith gets hurt because he right. probably is going to. Right. And so, like you said, you move Tyler outside, and then Chuma Adoga is a relatively close to average, if not just barely slightly below average starting level guard in the NFL the last few years when he's played. He just happens to have been hurt a lot, so he doesn't. people don't count on him to be that. But if he's got to start four games because Tyron rolls an ankle and Tyler Smith has to go out to left tackle, I don't think there's any reason why they could not get perfectly acceptable offensive line play with Chuma Adoga at left guard and Tyler Smith at left tackle. Or for that matter, Matt Farniak or somebody. Exactly, yes. Like, and that's, that's sort of the point that I'm getting at. Throw all those guys in a big hopper, spin them around a bunch of times, roll one of them out there at left guard, and more than likely you're going to be okay at left guard. And and I guess I, I think the fans' frustration, and I don't disagree with it at all, is you felt like that was one thing we talked about. Like that was one area that you felt like you could go into this draft and upgrade on. Like you could add a bona fide like, difference maker um, at left guard. And, and again, we had shows about this all leading up to the draft. Like there weren't many positions you could do that. At. I think they nailed it in the first round there with Mozzie Smith, where, you know, you, you had a guy, you got Jonathan Hakins in house, but Jonathan Hakins is a, you know, 40%, 30% snap player. And you got a guy in Mozzie who can probably bump that up to 60, 50, 60, 70 at, at times. So, you know, I think they nailed that in round one. And I think in round two, um, you know, they they went with the tight end who's, you know, we'll get there in a second, but I feel like left guard other than defensive tackle and maybe other than one of the premier tight ends was probably one of those positions where people went, hey, if we can get in a Vila or a Torrance or a guy like, you know, possibly, I mean, it sounds like they don't feel the same way, but a guy like Bergeron or one of these guy tackles that could have reduced down into guard um, that you felt like, okay, you know, we've, we've locked up our starting five on the offensive line. Tyron can either be your you know, your swing tackle or can be your right tackle if they want to play him over there. And I guess that's where the frustration comes in is is they feel like that was one position we felt like we could have gotten that bona fide upgrade at and we, we really didn't, which, like I said, like I, I understand your point too where it's like, hey, you don't need – I mean, that was my whole thing about not taking an offensive lineman in round one. I was like, you don't need five first-round offensive linemen to be successful. If yes, you do, your coaching's absolutely. not good and your offensive coordinator's not very good. Absolutely. Your and quarterback's two, probably not very good. We know that's right. not true, so yeah. Yeah, and then two, it's just, like I said, the the the, the ability to you know add a guy on day two, and, and, and that's where I wanted to go next. On day two, I feel like we mentioned it with Torrance a lot when we went through these mock drafts, but I feel like that was my, and I like Schoonmaker a lot. Like we've talked about him a lot, you know, at 90, we feel like he'd be a great, you know, great addition. You feel like he's got those starter quality traits, the, the athleticism, the size, the length, 
the blocking abilities, kind of the do-it-all type of dude. And then Osiris Torrance being there at 58 and then passing on on him for Schoonmaker did make me cringe a little bit. I'm not going to lie. And that that's coming from a guy who valued Schoonmaker a lot higher than a lot of people in this draft process. Yeah, I think one uh, you know, if we back up to another big picture takeaway, I don't think this team wants to draft guards. Yeah. I think Those they guards. want to draft tackles and make them guards. Yeah, or guards that can play center, you know, like Yes, uh, they, they will they want to draft they want to draft an interior offensive lineman to play center. Right. Whether that's, that's a guard or a or a center. And then they want to draft tackles and have them play guard. And I bet if they could choose, they would choose to pick somebody like Matt Farniak, who played tackle some at Nebraska, and bring him in to play some center. Like, I think they, if they could choose, they would draft all offensive tackles. And that's a, that's a philosophy. You know, Green Bay drafts pretty much only offensive tackles. You know, think about where, where Mike McCarthy comes from. They draft tackles. They move them around the offensive line and put them in place, and away they go, right? And so I was not that surprised to see them pass on Torrance for that reason. I don't think they really want, especially once they decided, once they went defensive tackle in the first round, I was sort of thinking, you know what, I don't think they want to take a guard. Like, I don't think they want to take a regular, a guy who played left guard in college and plug him in at left guard in the NFL. I mean, even all the way back to Connor Williams was a, tackle Zach Martin was a tackle you know like you could keep going all the way back and other than centers they're not going to draft those guys high who don't have a history of playing tackle they drafted Connor McGovern but that was you know in the third round the back end of the top 100 so that that's a little bit of a different value there but um but yeah so I wasn't that shocked to see them pass on guard but I agree with you that that was one of the positions they had a chance to to upgrade at um but they they clearly, like I said, they clearly feel like they're okay on the offensive line, and, and they they do that with a full understanding of what Tyron Smith is at this point in his career in terms of a of a probably a limited rep player for the course of the season. And they gave Tyron a contract that's that's um, that goes with that assumption. So we know that they they agree with us that you can't count on Tyron to play right. the whole season, and they they still felt like there wasn't room for. Matt Bergeron to come in and make an impact in year one. So that should tell you a lot about how they feel about the offensive line. Which still, I mean, it does kind of blow my mind that they they have that much confidence in that group. You know, like the group was really good to start the year last year. I thought it, it played at a high level. Um, but, man, we saw once Terrence Steele went down, like <laughs> the offensive line success really started to take a hit. And it just seems like if it's not tiring, it's somebody else, you know, and, and we keep – mention it on here but like Zach Martin's getting older you know we've seen him kind of not deal with injuries more but you see him play a little bit more banged up than he has in the past so it's just it does it does surprise me and they added an offensive line late to seem Richards out of North Carolina who I think is a good player and I think he's a guy who will probably play you know here for the Connor McGovern type of contract where he's probably going to play here for his four years of his rookie deal and then he might get a deal somewhere else and I think you could look for Richards to maybe start playing and, and getting on the field in year two or three. I don't know if he's going to be there this year. Um, but they have young offensive line depth, too, with Matt Well, let's go, Josh, Josh Ball, um, Asim Richards now. You know, they signed some guys in undrafted free agency. So there's plenty of youth in that room. It's just can these guys develop into being – 
those plug-in starters when you need them to for that four or five game stretch when somebody gets hurt. And that's, I think, where the fans are just like a little bit more concerned than than they are, which I don't I don't think, like I said, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm going to stick with the fans on that one. I'm kind of leaning their way. <laughs> yeah, and the, at least the one positive about it is that they continue to throw numbers. And we, ta- we did the undrafted free agent show yesterday with RJ and Tom, and that's one of the things we talked about is that when they see the back end of the depth chart needs some improvement, they don't go try to add one guy and say, okay, this one guy is going to be a better fourth guard than the other guys that we have. They bring in like four guys at that position, toss it in with the other two or three guys that they have, roll them out to camp and say, okay, the best two guys are going to win. And at, at least they're doing that and fostering competition at the back end of the depth chart, adding a seam Richards. You know, you talked about ball and well, let's go and Farniak and, um, and there's, you know, the Lindstrom got the undrafted free agent from oh, last so year, true. Lindstrom, the center. They they added the undrafted free agents this year, plus the Seam Richards. Like, there's probably eight offensive linemen competing for those back four offensive line spots on the depth chart. And, I mean, that's not a bad place to be, especially because you've got fourth through sixth round picks invested in several of those guys. So they're not scrap heap type players that you're tossing out there. I think they're approaching the offensive line in a, a really, you know, a really sane sort of way. It's just scary from a fan standpoint to go, but one injury on the offensive line could blow the season up. And you're absolutely right. But that that's the case for every team in the league. Right. And I think, and I think- there, there's. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Well, I was going to say, I think, I think, like you said, like that's just the scary part to the fans. And then also it's just... Other, like they drafted Tyler Biotish to be a starter, but other than him, it feels like Terrence Steele is an undrafted free agent that they really, you know, bought in on and he worked out at right tackle. But it feels like over these last, you know, five, six years, it's just they struggled to draft that, you know, like Connor McGovern took until his third or fourth year to really, you know, step in and, and earn that spot. So I think that's their other thing is it's like, when or what when are one of these fourth round picks going to turn into a you know stud for us where it's like we know he's a second contract guy and i think that's where they're like okay you know we got connor williams who i thought connor williams was a good player we got connor mcgovern who was you know a solid average left guard i think the fans are going okay we're spinning we're, we're throwing a lot of darts but none of those darts are really developing into the guys that we hope they would yeah and i think there's also some opportunity associated with that right like 
you know, the, the right guard position has been locked down for something like 72 out of the last 76 games or something like that, that sure. they've played, like just some nuts level of consistency there. Um, Terrence Steele took over, you know, at one point it was Terrence Steele and Lyle Collins were battling it for the right tackle position. Nobody has legitimate competition for who the best right tackle on their roster is. Like there's not a team in the league with that. Like most teams don't have a right tackle they like much less two. Um, you know, the center position, like you said, has been locked down since pretty much since they drafted uh, Tyler Biotish. Left guard was Connor Williams for a long time, and then it was Connor Mc- Like, there hasn't been room for these fourth or fifth round players to get a ton of opportunity. And even when, you know, they deal with injury, like, they've got Jason Peters on the roster. Like, right. Matt Willett's goes hurt, or Josh Ball's not going to play over Jason Peters and Tyron Smith. Like, that that's not going to happen. So it's they're they're drafting these guys in the fourth round, and they're not getting a lot of opportunity to play in games. So that creates uncertainty for fans, and I think that's part of what's scary for fans on the offensive line is that uncertainty. And I think the teams have to be because of the the nature of the position, they have to be a lot more comfortable living in that uncertainty than uh, than fans are. All right, yeah, no doubt. Let's let's move on to another position. So, you know, they drafted Luke Schoonmaker, um, and whether you're a fan of the player or not, I mean, like I said, I, I don't think there's many people out there who don't think that Luke Schoonmaker's a really good tight end. I think that a lot of people thought that was probably a roundish early. Um, but I think there's there's no one out there who's going, hey, this dude can't play. They were just going, hey, you know, we probably saw him more as a third-round guy than a second-round guy. But when you're packing, picking at the back in the second round, a lot of times you're taking third-round players. Um, but the receiver position is one that they really didn't, that's a position we talked about a lot. Like how comfortable are they going into this, this 2023 season again, with really only having two and a half to three NFL caliber receivers until we figure out what, what version of Michael Gallup we get. And they didn't really address that position early. They, they added Jalen Brooks with their last pick in the draft with the seventh round pick. Um, but I thought we kind of had kind of seen, you know, an avenue where on in the third, the fourth, maybe even the fifth round, they target one of these guys um, to provide some quality depth behind Brandon Cooks, Michael Gallup, CeeDee Lamb, and, you know, hoping your your second year of development from a Jalen Tolbert, something like that. But they did not go back to the wide receiver well until the seventh round. That's another interesting spot because, you know, again, we get back. I think you're an injury away from getting back to where you were last year, where you go, we don't really have but one NFL caliber receiver. And our other guy, you know, hasn't really re- returned to that form that we once was a few years ago. So what are your thoughts on the receiver room now post-draft? And do you think that that's a spot maybe they look to free agency for and maybe look to add, you know, a, a more veteran presence there to cover their ass if, if something does go wrong? Yeah, I think once they – added a second year to Brandon Cooks' contract. My mind kind of went away from the wide receiver position high for a couple of reasons. One, because because of the amount that you paid Michael Gallup and because of the fact that they restructured his contract this offseason, he is going to be in the fold for at least another season or two. Brandon Cooks now in the fold for two seasons. Stevie Lamb, you hope, in the fold for the next half a decade at least. So that that's your starting three wide receivers. And just based on the assets that you have allocated to them, you've basically said these are the guys who are going to start for us. And then you add on to that 
you have the Simi Fahokus, you have the Jalen Tolberts, you have the, and again, it's one of those situations where wide receiver four, toss seven of those guys in a hopper, shake yeah. them up and see who comes out as the best guy. And relatively often you're going to wind up with a Cedric Wilson. You're going to wind up with a Noah Brown. You're going to wind up with those kind of guys who are late round picks like this who come out and are acceptable wide receiver three, wide receiver four. The problem is when you expect those guys to be wide receiver one or wide receiver two. And so I didn't think wide receiver was a premium need for this team. I thought adding one in that third, fourth round range to add another one into the hopper with Jalen Tolbert and say, all right, if Jalen Tolbert sucks again this year and just can't get on the field, we have a backstop for that play in that wide receiver four. Um, was probably a good idea, but with the way the draft fell, that's just not the way they went. And I think they'll be okay at receiver because I think Brandon Cooks and CeeDee Lamb are really good. I think they're going to have, you know, I think they're going to play a lot of 12 personnel. We talked about the tight end. They definitely have a type at tight end, and Luke Schoonmaker fits that extremely well. <laughs> and so uh, I think that, you know, they're going to play a lot of 12 personnel. They're going to play a lot of, uh, you know, they'll probably play some two back this year based on the stuff they did in the uh, in the draft. And so I think they I think they probably feel OK at wide receiver. And. I think they probably feel like they can weather an injury if they need to. Um, with using other personnel groups, as opposed to throwing wide receiver four out there and expecting him to be the equivalent of a, of a second wide receiver three. And then if, you know if the third round pick they used last year has, you know, developed mentally from understanding what, what the, uh, what the risks are and all that, or wonder the task, what the ask is for the, uh, for the league, then, uh, then, Hey, now you're in a great spot at wide receiver, not just. Okay. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I was hoping and, and kind of almost thinking that they would try to go back to that well a little bit sooner than they did just from that standpoint of, yeah, they added that second year to Cook's contract, but was that more of a, you know, salary cap maneuver to to soften the blow this year? Like, is he a guy who, you know, which, which again, if he plays well, he's healthy. Like, I think that they'd love to keep him around next year, no doubt. But I think, you know, post-2023, I would have liked to seen them add, you know, somebody to that room to where you go, okay, you know, hey – you know, like they did with Jalen Tolbert last year, but hopefully you just hit a little bit more stronger on that pick than you did with Tolbert. But I mean, I think Tolbert's going to be in for a, a much better year this year than than last year. I think he, you know, the 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 jump from South Alabama to the NFL, I think, was a little bit bigger than I think he anticipated it being. Um, you mentioned just like the mental side of things. I think that's going to be something that he picks up on and, and handles a lot better this year. I mean, like I said, Jalen Tolbert can play football. There's there's I don't think there's anyone out there that thinks he's not a good football player. It's just, hey, you know, how how do you fit into the offense? How quickly can you learn the offense? Can you be in the right place at the right time? And I think that's just stuff he's got to improve on. And it seems like he's spending a lot of time right now with Dak Prescott and the rest of those offensive guys trying to build that camaraderie and, and figure some things out. So um, I definitely think Jalen Tolbert will be fine as his team's wide receiver four, whether that's him or Simi Fajoko. I think those guys can do that. Um, I think Tolbert's the better player there, so I hope he can develop into being that wide receiver four. Um, but it's like I said, just just adding to that room, I think, is something I almost thought they would do just to kind of cover their bases for the future 
you know, if things don't go right with Brandon Cooks or, you know, Michael Gallup really doesn't return to that form, it would help it not be as big of a need in this 2024 draft next year um, if you're able to kind of strike some gold on day two or day three this year. Yep, absolutely. Running back, that's the last position I want to touch on. Um, going back to our original point, I feel like we got lied to again. They told us, you know, hey, we're looking at size in the running back room, and then they picked the smallest guy of all time in Deuce Vaughn, who's a really good football player. But um, definitely did not, you know, they told us, hey, you know, we're going to look for, looked at a running back, and it's going to be somebody with some size that can, you know, take over some of that Ezekiel Elliott type of workload, and they went the exact opposite direction. So um, I don't see them – Adding, you know, there, I of course the question gets asked to us on Twitter all the time, like, is is he coming back? And I just think that ship has long sailed away. But um, I like this running back room. I think that if it were me, we talked about this on our UDFA show last last night, that I would probably just keep it as uh, keep it as Tony Pollard, have Deuce Vaughn in that room because he adds a a you know unique element to the running back room. So I'd have it Tony Pollard, Malik Davis, Deuce Vaughn, and then I would not keep a Ronald Jones. I would not keep a Rico Dowdle. I would add uh, Hunter Lepke, the, the fullback slash running back out of North Dakota State to that room and have you carry in, quote-unquote, four running backs, but one of those guys can fill in and be your fullback role as well. Yeah, I think, you know, we we sort of saw this happen in all of the, you know, the thousand mock draft simulations that you and I did personally and on the show and with other folks over the course of the pre-draft period is that there was a, there was a range where if you didn't have a running back by a certain range, the pickings got that that there was going to be a run on running backs in the third ish into the third, early fourth round. And that by the time you got around to your fourth round pick, if you didn't have a running back already um, you were going to be, you know, you were going to have a tough time getting, getting the type of running back we thought that they wanted, the Roshan Johnson type running back, you know, the right. big guy who can carry a little bit more of the load. And once you get to the sixth round, like, again, how much do we believe what they tell us, right, at this point? That's that's the theme of this show. <laughs> yeah, it, it's like, is is Deuce Vaughn was apparently the, the top player on their board. Um, and... Again, I don't know how much to how much of that to believe or not believe. I don't necessarily have any reason not to believe it, other than that they lied to us a bunch from the last few months. <laughs> um, but, but I honestly feel like it, it's so hard because in several years ago they showed us, hey, we know we can get by with the running back position without spending up for it, right? You know, go sign uh, Darren McFadden for a couple million bucks draft Joseph Randall and run for 1600 yards between the two of them. And, and then they turn around the next year and draft Ezekiel Elliott. And then they turn around two years later and pay him a bunch of money while they draft Tony Pollard and then throw a bunch of money at Tony Pollard this year on the franchise tag, but then not draft a running back until the sixth round (laughs) and then add one in, in undrafted free agency. So I think you're right on the approach of the running back room this year. Um, And I think they feel like, you know, hey, we added these two running backs this year. If we need to go in the second or third round next year and get more of the primary running back for a three-person running back committee or a, or a running back duo, um, we can probably do that next year because there's always running backs in the draft and we can just prioritize it a little higher next year. Um, 
I, I don't really have, there's not really that much running back take for me from this draft because for me, they approached it the right way. Um, and it just so happened that in the range where we knew all the running backs were going to go, some of the running backs went even a little higher than we thought they would with Jameer Gibbs and Zach Charbonnet going even higher than, you know, I felt like they would go. Um, but because those guys went higher, some of the other guys got pulled up with them and they just did, they didn't have the running back choices available, probably where they planned on taking them. Um, and so they came back in the sixth round and took Duke and he's going to be a fun player and he's going to contribute and, um, and then came back and circled around to Hunter Lepke and undrafted free agency. And I think that's a perfectly good NFL running back room. And it's the right value. It's the right investment in that position. And it just, you know, it, it's about right for what you need in a running back room in the NFL in 2023. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I, I, there was a lot of people who were, you know, hoping they'd had a running. And, and I thought there was a good chance that if, a, you know, Zach Charbonnet had fall to him at 58, he'd be of consideration. I thought there was a chance that if uh, Tank Bigsby was there, I think he went just before they picked in the third round, if I'm not mistaken. But, you know, I think if some of those guys were there where they were hoping they'd be, um, they would have been in consideration uh, at their pick. Yeah, Tank Bigsby went at 88. They picked it. And that seemed to be a theme, too. It seemed like they got sniped quite often. Um, I mean, Dion Henley – Trenton Simpson went at 85, 86. They picked at 90. You know, they were probably hunting a linebacker there. And even though I know they said that DeMar- uh, DeMarvion Overshone was their top-rated player, a uh, guy that they considered at it, 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 uh, 56, I mean, I, I would have a hard time believing that if Trenton Simpson and Dion Henley were on the board that they would have picked Overshone over those guys. Um, but it just seems like in every round, that was round three, round two, um, they picked – they picked Luke Shoemaker, um, and we obviously saw the tight end run at the the back end of the first and the top end of the uh, second, you know, where all those guys went, some of the guards went. Um, I mean, I would have loved to have seen if they would have considered John Michael Schmitz if he was there at 58. He went at 57 to the Giants. Um, I just, like I said, it seems like we can argue the Dalton, McKay, uh, Dalton Kincaid pick. You know, I know some people are saying that they didn't really have any interest in him, and then from what I was told and from what some other, I know Dane Brugler said it on the athletic football show on, on night one is that Dalton Kincaid was Dallas's guy at 26. If, if Buffalo had not traded up in front of them and taken him. Um, so there's some discussion points there as well, but this, I mean, like I said, at the beginning of the show, like I wouldn't say th- this draft wasn't bad for me. It wasn't a home run for me. It was, it lacked that like flair that I feel like they've had some luck with getting in some of their, their drafts here recently. Um, just with, you know, really hitting some home runs on day two and day three, you know, at the time with, with like last, last year, I loved the Sam Williams. I love the Jalen Tolbert pick. Um, you know, I didn't love the Tyler Smith pick, but you know, I felt like they came back one day, two and day three and added some really good players. And this year it felt like everything was just kind of like, yeah, that feels like it's around early, but it fit kind of some positions that they were looking to upgrade. And it was obviously players that they valued and, and had high grades on. So it's hard to really get, but so excited about this draft class, but I also think it's going to be a pretty, pretty solid group where, you know, six, seven of these guys are probably going to make the roster and, and, and uh, play some, play some football in year one, which is all you can ask for. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that's really important to remember, and we talked about this coming into the draft, is they're a really good team. (laughs) And they're really good at, you know, all the positions that are really sexy to draft early in the draft, right? Like 
they're real. They have three. We're sitting here talking about how they're going to rearrange all the good offensive tackles that they have to be able to get their best five offensive. Tackles. They're really good at offensive tackle. They're really good at quarterback. They're really good at the top end of the wide receiver depth chart. They're really good at pass rusher. They're really deep at cornerback. Like all the really sexy, fun positions that everybody gets really excited about drafting. Um, they're really good at. And so they went to the line of scrimmage in the first round, which, you know, I didn't necessarily see it with Mozzie specifically as a player, but I understand the, I understand where the upside is and where the potential is for development and change just by changing the way he's asked to play. Um, I, you know, we understand the way they like to use tight ends and their need to have uh, another guy with a little bit higher end than what they have. Okay. That makes sense. Um, and then, you know, they come back with the linebacker and the defensive lineman in the third and fourth round. And it just, it feels like the ceiling on this draft is lower than the ceiling on last year's draft. But that's also because last year they went offensive tackle, defensive end, wide receiver in their first three picks with guys who had super high feelings but had some risk associated with them, and that's why they were able to draft them where they were. This year, they almost went the opposite, right? They went like very mainstream, right down the middle, just hit a hit a three wood right down the middle of the fairway instead of pulling out the driver and and trying to bang you know three hundred yard drive. And so, it just creates a little bit of a different feeling for fans, for folks following the draft, for people grading the draft. But it doesn't necessarily mean that from a team building perspective, it wasn't the right step for them to take. Yeah, no doubt. Is there any other positions that you want to touch on as like a roster outlook heading into the season that we didn't really get to? Uh, you know, not really. I mean, there's, you know, it's the first week of May and football start, you know, they start camp in late July. So there's, there's lots of time to talk about the roster and all that other kind of stuff. But I think just coming off the draft, fans should feel really good about where this team stands from a personnel standpoint, like this team from a personnel standpoint is ready to go out and compete to try to win an NFC championship and try to make the Super Bowl. especially, you know, you can argue about, you know, Jalen Hurts and whoever else they have potentially arguably whatever disclaimer you want to put in there, the best quarterback in the NFC on their team. And that gives you the chance to be competitive for the NFC championship before you even consider all the other guys that they have on their team. So they have what they need from a personnel standpoint. The biggest question left is probably what does an offense coordinated by Mike McCarthy look like in the year 2023? And we won't get that answer until they start playing games that matter in September and October. Um, but, but from a personnel standpoint, you got to feel really great about this team, I think. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I was glad they didn't target target backup quarterback as early as some were thinking. I think that was – something I was worried about at 90 or 129, they were going to take that, you know, backup quarterback, which would have just really not made me happy, but they stayed away from that. Um, While I didn't love their fourth round pick um, and I didn't love the trade up to get Eric Scott, just because I I have concerns about his athleticism and ability to just play on the outside in the NFL. Um, I mean, like you kind of nailed it. I felt like it was a pretty straight down the middle draft. They, They targeted positions that they needed to upgrade they got guys that they felt like could probably get on the field rather early in their careers and help contribute rather early. Um, you know, Luke Schoonmaker's an older prospect. You know, he's he's got the athletic upside. It's just something he's got to get more consistent with playing with. Um, 
And then Deuce Vaughn's a guy who I feel like is pretty, pretty NFL ready, you know, in the role that he's going to be asked to play in. So I, I like this draft. You know, it's not one that I'm I'm really super, super excited about. I'm not sure you're going to get any pro bowlers out of this draft class, but I think you'll have a, a, a you know, steady as you go type of type of draft class here. And, you know, fans might be disappointed that none of these guys are, you know, at the top five, six, seven in their position in a couple of years, but I do think it's a solid, you know, and, and again, people might get bad at, mad about this, but I feel like it's a solid C plus draft. Is that the grade that what, what grade would you smack on this thing as we get out of here? Yeah, you know, just from a high level, if, if you make a good pick in the first round, which you know, I think picking a, a premium position on the line of scrimmage, you know, whether you call nose tackle a premium position or not, the line of scrimmage is a premium place in the NFL. You picked a really high ceiling player in the middle of your defense on the line of scrimmage. That sort of puts a really high floor on your draft from that point forward. And so I would probably say, you know, C plus, B minus, somewhere in that range of like, you said it's not flashy, it's not sexy, it's not any of that kind of stuff. But I think it's a success from a team building standpoint, just in terms of adding to what you already have and creating the opportunity for competition at some of these sort of role type positions that are really important on your team, but are hard to invest big dollars into in free agency and hard to invest big draft picks in just because you don't have one. You you almost, you know, Junior Fajoko, right? The inside outside edge guy put him and Chauncey Golson and Dorrance Armstrong in a hopper, roll them around and see if, you know, Dorrance Armstrong leaves next year in free agency you're still covered in that role and you're still okay. And that's sort of what that's sort of what this draft was was let's just continue to bolster our roster. I think I think from a team building standpoint it's a success even if during the process we all sort of got a little uneasy because it didn't go the way we sort of predicted or felt like that it could or should or we wanted it to go. Yeah, no doubt. Well, we are putting a bow on the 2023 NFL draft and we'll start transitioning more into Cowboy centric content. And, you know, we got rookie mini camp coming up here soon. And man, before you know it, we'll be out in Oxnard uh, watching these guys get on the training camp fields and getting ready to go. So it'll be here before we know it. The draft process is always a fun, long journey. Um, not to say I'm glad it's over, but I'm glad we can get on and, and really focus on the the goal at hand. And that's, you know, seeing how this roster does and hopefully winning a lot of games in the regular season and seeing if we can get over that playoff hump and getting back into some, some important games in January and February. So we're, uh, we're going to be putting a bow on this draft and moving on to more Cowboy centric stuff uh, from here on out, transitioning from talking the draft back to talking the star. You can find the show in the same way you find it anywhere else. And we will uh, be back with you guys next week on the talking the star podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you.